Um, if you are new with us or newer with us, let me just kind of catch you up on what's been happening here inside the house. We've been spending this entire year growing our inner life with God because next year we're stepping into an outer life with God, uh, wanting to impact the world around us. And we're doing this for, for several reasons, but here's how I'd say it. Um, because we can never sustain being bigger on the outside than we are on the inside. Right, whenever you see a, a, a leader fall, whenever you see a church pastor fall, right, that's always because they were bigger on the outside than they were on the inside. And I believe that God has plans for you. I believe that you were made for something great, that you were made in the image of God. I believe that God has something big that he's calling you to. But if we're ever gonna sustain something big on the outside, we have to be bigger with God on the inside. And that's what we've been growing into. That's what we've been stepping into, wanting to grow with God in our inner life. And I can't think of anything more important as we close out this year than what we're talking about here over these few weeks is growing in our inner life in regards to the love of God. Come on, somebody, the love of God. So if you're just joining with us, we're in our third week here of this home series talking about the love of God. And do y'all remember how the apostle Paul prays for us, right? This is one of my favorite prayers in the entire Bible in Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 16. Here's what he prays. He prays this. He says, I pray that from God's glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is his love. May you experience the love. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Maybe, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I love this. May you know the love of God, even though it's too big to know. Come on, somebody. I know it's 9.30 in the morning, but goodness gracious, there's a difference between knowing about the love of God and knowing the love of God. And what we have to do, we have to be the people who wake up to the love of God, that this is not just an intellectual pursuit. This is theology to be learned. These are scriptures to be memorized. But more important than that, this is real, tangible, life-giving, fiery, passionate love that God has for his people. And Paul prays, it's my prayers, our prayers, God's desire that we would know and swim in the ocean of the love of God that we would know the warmth of his smile over our life, that we would feel his, his tender affections for us. And maybe you're not used to talking about God and that sort of poetic language, but that's how he feels about you. He rejoices over you with shouts of joy. This is the God that we have and the love of God changes everything. So Jesus Christ, God's love in the flesh, comes on the scene and he tells a story about the love of God. And this, this story, it's found in Luke 15. It's kind of the story that we've been in orbit around here for a few weeks, and we have one more week after this week. And it's a story that has persisted throughout the ages. Maybe one of his most famous stories or parables that he tells, it's called the parable of the prodigal son. 
And each week what we're doing here over this series is we're kind of turning the story and putting a different set of eyes from a different character in this story that Jesus tells. Because many times we just think that this entire story is about one character, the prodigal son, but there's other people in this story. And what we found out there on that first week is that we saw that this is a story, again, as we begin, is the story of a prodigal son, a son who demands his inheritance from his father while his father's still alive, in essence saying, I, I wish you were dead. I want, the, I want the stuff, but I don't want the relationship. Right, And he takes it, he turns his back on his father, he, he leaves town, he, he liquidates his father's assets, everything his dad ever worked for, he sells it all, and then within just a span of a few months, waste it all on wild, reckless, sinful living. And then while he's sitting there in pig slop, wanting to eat pig food, the light bulb comes on over his head and he comes to his senses. Come on, somebody, we've been pausing at that moment of the story every single week. How many of you are glad that God gives us the gift of being able to come to our senses, right? And he remembers, oh, it's so much better back home. And, and it's here that Jesus begins introducing us to the Father's love. I just wanna jump into that story, Luke 15, 20. But while he, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him something that was true. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they begin to celebrate. And what it is, it's the story of absolute rebellion met by absolute love that breaks even the hardest of hearts. And what God is trying to get through to us right here is that we, we're seeing that no one is ever too far gone for God's love not to call them home. And I believe God's bringing some prodigals home in this season as well. But what we're discovering, guys, is that there's actually more than one character in this story, right? This is, many people would actually not even call this the parable of the prodigal son. You know what they would call it? The parable of two lost sons because there's another brother in this story. There's an older brother who stayed home, and here, here's where we catch up with his story, right? Many people stop at the end of like, hey, there's a big party. No, wait a second, there's part two to this story. There's an older brother out in the field that when he saw his, his, his brother kind of tuck his tail between his legs and come home, and, and there's this big party, he refuses to go inside to the party. In fact, it gets so bad, the father has to come out to the party. Ah, come on, parents. It's bad enough to have to deal with one punk, but then when that one punk comes home and you're throwing a party, then the other kid starts acting up. Come on, man, can't we just have a minute of peace in this family? And so dad goes out to the field and he's urging his son to come in, but he refuses. And the older brother starts judging his younger brother for that sin. Then he starts attacking his dad that he would welcome the younger brother back home. And he calls him a slave driver because the older brother's been working and working and working. And he says, dad, you never even gave me anything that I wanted. Now he's like entitled and, and, and just, just pouty, right? And here's what we saw. I love this, as we said this last week. We saw that it's possible to be in the Father's house but not know the Father's heart. It's possible to be in the Father's house 
but not know the father's heart. And this older brother stayed physically, but he was just as far gone as his younger prodigal brother. And the father came outside and he said, son, come inside. It's time to come home. And so today we're turning the story one more time. And I wanna introduce you to the third character in the prodigal son story. And in fact, he's been here all along and he's so present in this story that you may have missed him. And so far we've met the prodigal younger son. We've met the older self-righteous son. And today we're meeting the good son, the one who's telling the story, Jesus Christ himself. And so here's the question, what's really going on here? Why is Jesus telling the story? Who's he telling this story to? What is he wanting us to do after we hear this story in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son? So here's the first thing Jesus is doing. The good son is telling us who we are, that we are all lost children. See, there's, there, there's a reason why Jesus tells the story of two lost sons. It's not a hypothetical fairy tale, right? Like this is, he's not just telling this story into thin air. He's telling this story literally to people who are in the room. And I think this is, this is so important. Let me, let me just kind of give you a, a, a little bit of, let me put a tool in your tool belt about how to, how to read the Bible, all right? Um, that, that any good communicator knows their audience, right? They, they know what's in the room. So there's a reason why Jesus is saying this. There's, there's people who Jesus is talking to. And so when you're reading the scriptures, always pause and look at the context. Always pause and look at what's happening in the room. Who's in the room? What does the room smell like? What does the room look like? Like, what's the background? Is he talking to Jews? Is he talking to Gentiles? Like, what, what's happening in this story? So Jesus is telling this story to people, to humans. And so any good communicator knows the room. And so Jesus, as a master communicator, knows his audience. Because if you're not speaking to your audience, you're just answering questions that people aren't asking. And so he, he's pressing into the life of the people who are sitting right in front of them. So who's in the room when Jesus is telling this story? Luke 15, let's watch it. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation. I love that. This is the message paraphrase. But I love, that is such a loaded descriptor. Men and women of doubtful reputation. That's a kind way to say like, these are the screw ups in town. They're hanging around Jesus, they're listening intently, and then the Pharisees and religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. <laughs> and they growled, he takes in sinners and eats meals with them and treating them like old friends. And their grumbling triggered this story. And so this entire room is this mixed bag of sinners and saints, right? that are in Jesus' presence while he's telling this prodigal son story. He tells the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, then the lost sons. And so what happens is you've got the tax collectors, you've got the, the, the prostitutes, you've got the no goods, you've got the sinners, you've got you know, little Lou, you got, you got big Rob, like the guys who like put concrete boots on people, you know what I'm saying? Like, like the room, it, they got the sinners, they got the people who sin loud. And then in the back, are the Pharisees and the church leaders. They're the ones who sin quiet. You know what I'm talking? I, I know a Baptist preacher who says, no, I'm Baptist, I don't drink in public, right? So <laughs> what sinners do, what the world does, they sin in the sunlight. Come on, church people sin in the dark. I can't let people see what I'm doing, right? And so what happens, the problem is when you sin in the dark, you start judging the people who sin in the light. 
Oh, come on, somebody. And they all heard that God was in town, so they come to the meeting. And the sinners come like, oh, God actually wants me in the room? And the religious people come angry that God actually welcomed the sinners in the room. And they're shouting. And so Jesus, listen, Jesus tells a story. Oh, God, I actually prayed this morning. God, I want to tell stories that are this good. Jesus tells a story to both groups and puts both groups in the story. Listen, the story of the prodigal son, the story of two lost sons, is a story about the people who are six feet in front of him. And he's telling the story, and people are like, yeah, 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 not knowing he's talking about them. He put them in the story. The sons in the story are the people in the room. Listen, the sinners, the, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they're the ones who grew up in the house. And then they're the ones who grew up in Israel. They grew up around Judaism. They knew better. But they turned their back and they went away and they jumped into sin like prodigal sons. The Pharisees are the ones who grew up in the house. They stayed in the house. But now they have this self-righteous, judging sort of heart because one left, the other stayed. But they all have hatred and sin and discord inside their lives. And listen, 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 listen. I, this is so good. I want you to put this up here. Jesus looks at the sinners that day and says, you must repent for what you've done wrong. And Jesus looks at the saints to say, you must repent for why you've done right. Oh, some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. He looks at the sinners and says, you must repent for what you've done wrong. He looks at the saints. He looks at the Pharisees, the church people, and says, you actually need to repent for why you've done right. And what he's saying is, guys, you're all lost. You're all lost. You're all hopelessly lost and far from God because you've got one group who knows that they've done wrong. And then you've got another group who's doing right, but they're doing right for all the wrong reasons. They're doing right to get from God. They're doing right to get acceptance, to get righteousness, to get favor, to get blessing from God. God, if I do this, these are the people who say, if I do this, God has to do that. And these are the people, listen, that when, when, when stuff breaks, when bad things happen in life, they don't know what to do because they, they've, they've put God into an equation, right? Like this is, these are the people, I'd say it like this, they don't have a theology of suffering so that when something breaks, when something bad happens, they're like, but God, I did this for you, so you have to do that for me. God, I don't know if you, you forgot or not, but I'm God because you work for me. I did my part, you do your part, right? Why aren't you blessing me the way that I want you to? Wow. Wow. See, listen, what Jesus is trying to get across that day. We know that doing wrong is sin, but do we know that doing right for the wrong reasons is also sin? And to the self-righteous, religious, older brothers in the room, here's what he's reminding us of. God says this, Isaiah 64, 6. All of us, everybody say all of us, have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Listen, God is so pure and God is so holy and God lives in unapproachable light that we can't ever think that what I did just impressed God. Right? As if God's like, whoa! Never seen that one before. 
I'm gonna aspire to your greatness, bag of dirt, right? Right? And the, the most pure and holy, awesome thing that we could ever do compared to God is filthy rags. And here's, but here's what we have to understand, pause. It's not that God doesn't want us to do good deeds. Remember Ephesians 2.8, remember that? This is something we're all, I'm charging us all to memorize, that we're saved by grace through faith alone. The original reformer, Martin Luther, there's a reason the reformation occurred. Here's what he said. We are saved by grace through faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. In other words, if you love God, you will work. But why we work for God makes all the difference. Doing good to get from God is repulsive. We got any parents? Come on, parents. You, you, ever, you ever notice your kids are acting a little screwy? Like they're like, they're a little too nice today. You, know, <laughs> you ever ask your kid, they're like, oh, dad, you look really good today. Like, like breakfast in bed, massage on the back when you're in the kitchen, laughing at your jokes. <laughs> dad, you're so funny. And then they drop it on you. Hey, Dad, can I have some money? What? Hey, Dad, can I go out later? Hey, Dad, I got a bad report card coming. Whatever it is. And then you're like, wait a second. I know what's going on here. The only reason you were being nice was to get from me. Listen, that's not love. That's manipulation. And what Jesus is saying in this story <laughs> is that the stay at home, do good, obey all the rules, church leader, older brother, is just as far from God as the prodigal, wicked sinner. Because legalism will send you to hell just as fast as wickedness. They're both just as far away from God because both forsake Jesus. Listen, wickedness says, I don't, I don't want God. Legalism says, I don't need God because I can do it myself. Here's what I'm saying. Me growing up as a preacher's kid, stayed in the house. Pretty clean testimony. You know what I'm saying? You don't hear me talking about my testimony a lot because I, I didn't murder people. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't have the sort of testimony that people are like, ooh, ooh, you're a pastor? No, I was a preacher's kid, right? Somebody probably could have written this story. I didn't see this at all, by the way. But me growing up in the house, pretty clean testimony. Listen, I was just as far from God as the runaway strung out on crack addict. Listen, I stayed at home and they left, but I can't sit back and judge their life because I tried to do good to get God to love me and they did bad because they didn't think that God loved them. But we were both lost and we both desperately needed to be found. My sin just looked different than theirs. Come on, come on church people. Just because our sins look different doesn't mean that our sins are better because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Some fall shorter than others, but we all fall short. 
All of us have strayed like sheep and gone our own way. We've all gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We are all lost. Here's the question. Who are you in this story? Because you're one of them. And we, we all have a little bit of both. We all have a little bit of prodigal and we all have a little bit of self-righteous in us. All right, some of you are self-righteous because you recycle. You're like, I'm better than everybody else. That's just the dumb thing that we do. You understand, like, oh, I do this, so I deserve this. That's wicked. And what Jesus is trying to do in this prodigal son story is get both groups to understand, the sinners and the saints. You are both just as far from God. And you desperately need to find the way home. He's speaking to that room and to this room. He's speaking to Hamilton Mill. He's speaking to Midtown. He's speaking to you guys in your living rooms. He's speaking to you in your cars, your hospital rooms. He's speaking to us right here. And he's saying, sinners and saints, we are all desperately in need of a way home. So in this story, the first thing he's trying to tell us is who we are, is that we're all lost children. The second thing is he's telling us who he is, that Jesus is the redeemer. Jesus is the redeemer. Now, again, there's culture that's in the story. Again, let me just kind of give you an idea. Whenever you're reading the Bible, there's actually something working against you. It's called 2,000 years and 6,500 miles. That's what it's called is that we can read the Bible, we can get saved, we can learn the character of God and all those things. But what happens is many times we miss the cultural nuance of what's happening inside this story. And so in the context of that culture, as Jesus is telling this story, the original audience would have noticed something that many of us miss, which is the role of the older son. So listen, and this is crucial. In, in the context of that culture, the older son was expected to reconcile the problems between father and the other kids. And he was expected to redeem what that son or the other kids had lost. That was the role of the older brother, all right, in this story. And this idea goes all the way back to Leviticus. It's Leviticus 25, 25. Here's what it says. This is kind of the basis for this idea of redeemer. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. So in other words, it was the job of the nearest family member to come and redeem what the loved one had lost. And that word redeem, listen, in the word redeem, let me put it up here. In the Hebrew, it's ga'al, which means to buy back, but it also means to act as a kinsman. Now leave that up there for a second. This is, this is so interesting to me, okay? Is that the original definition of redeem is to buy back. So in other words, um, um, if your family member loses something, you're, it's your job as the closest family member to go and buy that thing back for them, right? To restore what they have lost. But this idea of a family member being responsible to redeem actually was so important that it became part of the definition. Do you understand what I'm saying? The original definition of redeem was to buy back. But as it became fleshed out, it became so embedded that it's the family's job to do this. Now that actually became part of the definition. This idea of a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer. This is the idea. Listen, it's the idea of buying back what a family member has lost. Listen. It's the family's job, the closest member of the family. It's their job to buy back 
what their loved one has lost. Any of you ever had to jump into some family drama? Oh, ain't no drama like family drama, right? That's why some of y'all really look forward to the holidays. Have you ever had to, to take this role of like the older brother or the older sibling to, to stand in between father and everybody else? To, to kind of mediate, to be in the middle? Any of y'all ever had to bail your, your brother's sisters out of, out of trouble? Maybe you just had to bail them out of jail, like, you know what I'm saying? So as Jesus is telling this story, track with me, as Jesus is telling this story, the listeners were waiting for the older brother to step in as mediator. The, the, the listeners are waiting for the older, brothers, the older brother to open up his wallet and buy back the inheritance that his younger brother sold. They're waiting for that. They're waiting for the older brother to step into the middle of child and father and say, guys, let's work this out. They're waiting for when the younger brother comes back, the older brother should come in from the field. He should be the first one to come into the, from the field and say, put his arm around his younger brother and be like, bro, 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 <laughs> you screwed up, man. But let's go make it right with dad. We'll figure it out. They're waiting for him to do that. But instead of buying back what his younger brother sold or lost, he sits back and judges his younger brother for losing it. And then, it, and then listen, and then not only that, instead of reconciling his father and brother, he attacks his father for daring to welcome the younger brother back. And here's what's happening in the story. The older brother had forsaken his job of reconciler and redeemer. Now listen, Jesus, as a master communicator, is speaking to the room. And what he's saying is, hey, Pharisees, hey, religious leaders, hey, church people, you're the sons of Abraham. I told Abraham that I would bless the whole world through his descendants because I wanted a people I could bless so they could turn around and be a blessing to the world around them. Pharisees, your job was to bless the world. Your job was to love the world back to God. Your job was to fling the doors of the church wide open to welcome the prodigals back in. Your job was to be the kinsman redeemer. But instead of acting as kinsman redeemer, you stood at a distance and you rejected the, 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 the people that you were supposed to love. And now you're even mad that God would send his son into the world to love the sick and the lost and the dying. And God's saying, guys, I blessed you so you would share your blessing, but you've forsaken your job of helping others find me. And all you do is sit behind church doors and point fingers at everybody. And what Jesus is doing, it's so beautiful. He's saying, guys, you forsook your job. So now I'm here. What Jesus is doing is actually introducing us to the true good older brother himself. Jesus is the kinsman redeemer. Jesus is the true kinsman redeemer. Jesus is the one who jumped right into the middle of the family drama. 
Jesus is the one who saw the father who loved his children and the sons and daughters who turned their back on the good father and walked away and took their inheritance and all their blessing and squandered it and wasted it on the mess of this world and then tucked their tails and came back home. He saw the, the judgment, he saw the love, he saw the longing and he cannonballed right into the middle of it all. Colossians 1.15, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. There is a sense, listen, where you can actually look to Jesus as your older brother. He is the firstborn in the family. He's the firstborn over all creation. So what did he do? First John 4, 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice, a payment to redeem, to take away our sins. So Jesus paid a price to take away our sins. What was the price? First Peter 1, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus paid for us, redeemed us with his blood. What did his sacrifice do? Psalm 103, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise the Lord and forget not all his benefits. He who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. He bought us back from the pit. He poured his love out on us. What else did he do? John 1, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Wait a second, what actually happened? Galatians 4, 4, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because we are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has also made you an heir. Praise God, our kinsman, redeemer, our good older brother, the good son came into the middle of the family drama and he redeemed us. He did not redeem property that was lost. He redeemed us who were lost. And he paid the price with his own blood on the cross, bought us out of the pit, bought us out of the empty way of life that we inherited from our ancestors, rescued us out of rebellion, out of our estrangement from God, out of hell itself, and gave us eternal life. And now because Jesus Christ is our redeemer, we've been brought into the family of God, and now we are heirs, which means even though we squandered our inheritance, even though we have nothing redeeming in and of ourselves, Jesus redeemed us, and now we have an inheritance once more. Praise God that Jesus is our good older brother, our kinsman redeemer. Come on, Jesus. The son is telling us who we are, that we're lost children. The son is telling us who he is, that he's the redeemer. And the son is telling us who the father is. He's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. Here's a question, guys. Why is Jesus telling the story of the prodigal son to begin with? 
Have you ever heard stories about somebody and you make up this judgment about them, right? And then you finally meet them for yourself and you're like, wait a second, you are nothing like what I've heard. That's what Jesus is doing. Saying, guys, you've all heard stories about God. Most of them not good. You've all heard God did this and God did that and God did that and I heard this and this and the mythologies and all these sorts of things. Guys, this room is full of a room of, of sinners and saints, right? But none of them know God. And Jesus, as the good son, is trying to help us understand who his father is. And all this matters, again, because we've been sticking on this. Pastor Jimmy Evans said this. We can only get as close to God as our image of God will allow. We can only get as close to God as our image of God will allow. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's breaking down these old ideas of who God is, right? We, we had known, we, if you thumb through the Old Testament, we've known of God as warrior. We've known as God as judge of the living and the dead. We've known of God as the, the, the host of heaven's armies, right? He'd been seen the Lord of all creation. But Jesus comes on the scene because God's never actually been known as father. Do you know why you can call God father? Because Jesus calls God father. He's the one who gave us that language. That language did not exist before Jesus. Listen, nobody called God father before Jesus. If you, you can find it maybe a time or two in the Old Testament where the Jews saw God as the father of the nation, but nobody had ever said God is my father. And Jesus calls God Abba, which means dad. Actually, really, it means daddy. And what we have to do is we have to allow Jesus's words about who God is to delete and replace who culture says that God is. Because here's, here's the subtle idea, right? Is that the father is angry and Jesus is loving. Not true. They're the same. And Jesus is saying, guys, I know many of you didn't have a good father, but my father is not like that. My father loves. My father opens up the front door. My father just wants his kids home. And no one had ever described God like that, ever. And Jesus is trying to soften us towards God because a lot of us, even in prayer, maybe even on a Sunday morning, guys, we kind of walk in and we're like, oh, right, come on. Because I know what I did this last week, most of it. I know he knows all of it. So we're like, right, am I gonna turn into a pillar of salt while I'm in worship? Right? Am I gonna just be struck dead on the way out of the parking lot? And I'm like, oh, I got away with it, and just die on your way out, right? But Jesus is telling us that God is so good like a little kid who has a good father that we can crawl up into his lap and we can be held and we can look up into his eyes and we can talk. We can be heard. We can be loved. Like, do you know that you can have a relationship with God like that? Yes, God is warrior. Yes, God is the judge of the living and the dead. Yes, God is the creator, the Lord of all creation. 
But before he's any of that, he's father. He's father. And just before Jesus goes to the cross, he sits down with his disciples. And he says, guys, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to the father. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I love this interaction with Thomas, John 14, five. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And what Jesus is saying then and what Jesus is saying today, here it is, this is so crucial. Jesus is the way, the Father is the where. Jesus is the way, the Father is the where. What we have to understand more than anyone else, people of God, what we have to understand is that heaven is not so much a place as it is a proximity. Here's what I mean. It's not that God created this place called heaven and he lives there. No, heaven is called heaven because that's where God lives. Home, listen, your home is only home because that's where your family is. If your family wasn't there, it's just a house. Heaven is only heaven because God's there. So heaven is not so much a place as it is a proximity to the Father. And this is so important because Jesus's whole job is to get us to the Father. Jesus is the way, the Father is the where. And he is a good Father. He's the one who sent the Son to redeem us from the grave, to give us beauty for ashes. Come on, somebody. Y'all need some, some beauty for your ashes today? That's what God does best. He's the one who rolls the stone away off of our dead life, breathes back into our mortal bodies and causes us to come alive again. He's the one who in his presence, all of our tears are wiped away and our sadness and mourning is replaced with joy. He's the one surrounded by the great cloud witnesses, the ones who have gone before us. He's the good father who flings the door open wide. Why? Because he wants his kids back home. And once they're back home, this is the father who gets all the angels together and says, let's throw a party. Because the ones that were lost have been found. That is our father. And what he's saying over this time, and what he's saying to you today, it's time to come home. And Jesus is the way. Jesus is the door. The Father is the where. The Father himself is the home. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love the world so much that you sent your son. That the word of God, the love of God, the presence of God is wrapped in skin. Jesus Christ came 
to those who are sick, lost, longing, and dead. And in this story there in Luke 15, you're speaking to a room full of sinners and saints, just like today. <laughs> some of us left home, some of us stayed home, but we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And today God is just saying that we're all lost kids who need a way home. So the good son, Jesus Christ, came as our kinsman redeemer. And I think what's happening in the story is Jesus shows us what a bad older brother looks like. <laughs> so we'll long for the good one. And Jesus comes on the scene to reconcile, to redeem, to reconcile us back to the Father, to redeem us who were lost out of the pit, out of death, out of destruction. And Jesus himself is the door. He came to reconcile us back to the Father, back to this good Father who loves us so much that he started this love story. And so God, it's my prayer for us today, right now, even in this moment, that you would begin to break our old distorted, like a, like a circus mirror sort of view of God, that you're distorted was thought that you were one way, but Jesus came on the scene to show us who you actually are. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. <laughs> and so God, we want the Father. And we're all lost children who just need our good older brother to bring us back to the Father. That's what we are. Listen, that's what Jesus is saying here. We're all lost children who need our good older brother to restore us back to the Father. And that's what Jesus came to do. And that's what we say yes to today. So listen, if you're here in Norcross, if you're in Hamilton Mill, Midtown, spread across the world, wherever you are, here's what God is saying today. He's saying, it's time to come home. Maybe you're the prodigal, maybe you're the self-righteous one, Maybe you're somewhere in between. We're all lost kids. But Jesus is the door and the Father is the home. And today God's calling you back in. And if that's you today and you need to respond to that and said, I've had my own path and I've fallen short of the glory of God, but today God is calling me back home and I respond by repenting of my sin and putting my faith in Jesus. I want you to just do me a favor and lift your hand. Sesame, come on across all the campuses. Let's lift our hands. That's so good. I love it. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. It's time to stop running. It's time to come home because the Father's arms are open wide. And he already paid the price through his son. So here's what we're going to do. You can put your hands down. I want us to pray together this prayer of faith. Pray this from your belly. Come on, like pray this from the deepest part of who you are. This isn't lip service today. Let's pray like this. Say, Father, you're a good father. You loved us so much that you sent your son 
Jesus Christ came as my kinsman redeemer and he went to the cross in my place and he paid the price for our sins and he died and he rose again. Jesus is alive. So today I respond by repenting of my sin. I turn from my path, from my prodigal living, from my self-righteousness, from my way, and I turn to God. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And today I am saved by grace, through faith in what Jesus Christ has done. Because of that, because of faith, today I am forgiven, I am free, I am holy, and I am clean. I am your son, I'm your daughter, you're my father. I am a child of God, no longer a slave. I belong in the house. <laughs> and I'll live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's, let's, let's join in with the angels who are celebrating the ones who have come home. Hey, let's do this across all of our campuses. Let's stand up to our feet. Let's take a second right here in this moment. And let's just praise God that Jesus Christ came to redeem what was lost. Amen.